Hey everybody now, Randy Sobel here, and if you haven't heard my voice for the last couple weeks, I've been on paternity leave. I'll be back in about two weeks or so, uh, but until then, John's going to hold down the fort, and I'm, I'm, I'm addressing you guys because uh, usually on Wednesdays, we're pretty good about getting episodes out. This week, uh, we are going to have it out a little bit later, a fresh episode for you for Springfield 1994 show. That'll probably be out either Thursday or Friday, so that kind of gave us the idea to bring something out from the vault to give to you guys, which might be fresh to a lot of you, and some of you might have listened to this before. You might have heard us talk about the Evolution series that we do over on Patreon, and a lot of those episodes over there we've done specifically for that platform for people that do subscribe to it, but today we are releasing one from the vault. We're going to give you guys a live, because this is one that's been around for about two years now, and it just needs to be listened to by people. We can't just keep it deep in that archive, and there might be patrons that listen to this and they might be saying where is this where i never even heard this before so this yeah so this was done a long time ago and and we just want to because we love this series and we love doing the research for it we want to share something really good with you guys and uh again for most of you it's going to feel really fresh and if you're not familiar with what the evolution series is is we take a song and we go through its origin story and we kind of go through how it was passed down throughout the years and how it was utilized and alive i mean you guys know what alive is you guys know the stories there and we'll talk about all of them and maybe we'll talk about a couple things you didn't know as well so that's that for this and later this week there'll be the springfield 94 episode i'm sure they'll talk about the ohana encore shows that were added and uh if you're interested in this if you're interested in the evolution episode you can listen to more over on patreon patreon.com slash live four legs we've done songs like release present tense immortality in my tree hard to imagine just to name a few but this is episode number three so this was long ago that we did this one out of 14 that we've done so far so if you really enjoyed this definitely head over there it's only going to get you one dollar a month and you can get all those episodes plus a lot lot more so thanks for listening in and uh let's get ready to evolve it's evolution baby you're listening to live on four legs evolution series in each episode, we'll look at the timeline of live performances to see how they've grown and changed throughout the years. In this episode, we'll be talking about Alive, the band's first big song that took a dark subject and turned it into a live anthem. So strap in and get ready to take a dive through history, because it's not just songs, it's evolution, baby. Hello, Patreon subscribers. Hello. It's Randy and John here for a live on Four Legs Evolution, baby, episode. It's the third one we've done, and what are we going to do today, John? Uh, the third track on ten. A lot. We're still alive. We're still alive. Uh, and we're bringing it to you on, like, close to the anniversary of, uh, you know, the official first episode of Live on Four Legs. So this is kind of a gift to all of the Patreon subscribers as a thank you uh, that we get something special out to you this week. 
and uh, we've done this is the third third one we're going to do here, and we haven't done it in almost a month, so we're kind of excited to really get back into it and see uh, and see if we got any good stories to tell. I think we got a lot here. Yeah, I th- definitely. I mean, we is... did had a had a lot of fun doing Yellow Ledbetter and doing Leash, so yep. I've been looking forward to getting into one of these again. Yeah, and there, look, there's no lack of uh, content for Alive. It's been played 777 times. Lucky, and lucky indeed. Up until last week, it was only played 776 times. So uh, thank you very much, <laughs> Live on Four Legs, for uncovering that. Um, total amount of encore plays that we've heard from the song, 384. Uh, it's been the closer 24 times, which seems a little low. To be honest with you, it does. Um, you know, just be, because it's just such a pivotal ender, and you know, we 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 talk about it all the time the bread and butter and how it goes alive, then rockin' and then Ledbetter. Well, I think too um, we we talked about Yellow Ledbetter, the emergence of Yellow Ledbetter in ninety five, ninety six. That sort of took over. And, and then, then when you think of you know, ninety two and ninety three, it's really Porch that's closing out the show. And you had the emergence of, of Rocket in the Free World and Bob O'Reilly in ninety two. Yep. So it had some competition from the beginning. Yeah. And uh I think it's officially five times as an opener. I have it at, at six, but I think one of those times is including Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, so I'm I'm not that's not really a set. That right, was like right. three songs or so. So I won't really count that. So there's really there's there's a, almost a thousand versions of this that we've heard live, and you know it's it's really it's a pivotal song for them. It's probably top three most famous song. Uh, it's what started to put them on the map, and honestly, it's their first song when you think of the Mama song, right? Right. I mean, if you even Go back to the original Stone demos. This was called Dollar Short um, on those demos. It almost, I sometimes think about what this song would have been like with Andy singing with on Andy, it. You know, right. That would have been crazy. And you got to think, this is one of those riffs that, that Stone came up with right after uh, the end of Mother Love Bone. And to come up with something like this uh, in a time like that is just, like I've, I've said before, you know, Stone's a genius. Um, and this is just an inspired uh, guitar part that he comes up with here. And, you know, this obviously we, you know, you're not listening here if you don't know the story. They sent, uh, you know, they sent the tape to Jack Irons. Jack got it to Eddie. Eddie went surfing, uh, listened to the Mama Son and, and got inspired and really wrote what became Eddie's sort of, Bi- biographical song about his life and and what he was going through uh you know his mom telling him that his real father was not who he thought he was and his real father was was dead um and then they have the whole you know reference of incest in there and it goes into some really dark topics which is kind of crazy because we're going to talk about this song in such a positive light and how it really became just an anthem for the band yeah, I think, and we've we've talked about in the first two episodes how the fans really affected the song, and this one's going to be the same thing. You know, once people heard the song, and you know that's this is all you know due to Eddie's you know putting that personal story, putting a bit of him, the autobiographical part of it in it. People took the song and you know made it 
apply to their own lives made it how you know how can the song relate to me and and the band's always said that they they want people to do that um this is one that was big from the very beginning people people connected with it from the beginning and you know almost every time you hear it even from from 91 92 on it gets a huge crowd response yeah and the first time they played it live uh literally you know song number three on the album song number three on the Mm -hmm. set list uh played played live at the 1022 what the idea for their sound was very early on very riffy very groovy and had a lot of you know building choruses to just a passionate breakout near the end and that's all stone you know you know from the beginning stone was kind of the the leader of the band he was writing the songs and stone and jeff really are the heart of this song like that riff it's such a groove to it it kind of it dives in and dives out and pops up and it's it really has a nice nice flow to it um and then mike coming in with the uh with the guitar heroics at the end just uh made it made it over the top it's kind of it's kind of crazy to know that you know there were years where they were playing this in front of you know under 100 people that oh yeah and knowing that this is a song that is used in such a high capacity now in front of 30 40,000 in, in baseball stadiums is you know telling of where it's been and, and where it's going in the future oh, yeah and we've talked you know? about that in episodes too where Ed is the he's such a charismatic frontman he has such a presence he can make those hundred people feel like they're you know they're in Madison Square Garden or Wrigley Field right. or, or he can he can make 40,000 people 50,000 people feel like they're in CBGB's or Rock Candy or a little small little club you know right he's got, he's got even, that power even this early on when they were Mookie Blaylock uh you know he's a shy he's he's a shy 25 or so year old and uh he's still finding a way to tap into some energy uh on stage which is which is great and obviously he's had the experience with bad radio but um you know this is another that's just uh he's he feels he feels it really early on i feel like this is one of the ones that you can tell from this early version that this was going to be a hit and too and if you and this song is always going to be associated with the with the stickman logo as well because yeah. it was the you know the cover of that that single and you know i have the the 12-inch single of this that has the big poster and the stick man and you know so many people have have kind of used that and 
for artwork or tattoos or you know whatever it's kind of become it was kind of the early symbol of the band and sure. it's, it's that's always tied in with the song for me i think one of the most unique things about the song it's one of very few that all five pearl jam drummers have played on um and going back it, it's it's you know it's a very it's kind of a simple percussion song in in a way uh i i can't tell like if if you're doing like a blind taste test with with drummers i can't really tell the differences i guess dave a is a little bit more hi-hat than the rest he of has them. a little more flourish on the cymbals and stuff yeah that was that was his his trademark right but what did you what do you think of uh like dave cruson's contribution to this so i i don't want that to be sort of pushed away because i know when you talk about drummers dave cruzen really lasted you know a couple of months but he helped record the song so he has a pivotal impact here and he had you know and we can we can talk about alternate histories all day long but it would have been interesting to see had he stuck around how their sound would have progressed because he was such he played more he wasn't as technical as dave i think but he played he really, I think, fit with what the band was going for at the time. He had kind of that groove that he could play mm-hmm. in. He could fit. He could sit in the, you know, he he really locked in with Jeff in those early recordings. And uh, he really fits the song, I think. He really he really was perfect for those early songs that ended up on 10. So speaking of drummers and, you know, getting every drummer in here, uh, Matt Chamberlain uh, was playing with with them you know in august yeah, I mean, of 91 and matt chamberlain's a great drummer in himself he went on to be in the saturday night live band for a long time he's been in a number of bands he's a he's an amazing drummer yeah uh and you know i think they were they were lucky to have him for the time that they did and he's done a ton of studio stuff since then for definitely, you know definitely. really popular artists um but the big you know the one that really stands out is uh the music video that was recorded at rock candy on august 3rd Chamberlain is on drums here and really unique for a music video to use the audio of the performance instead of using the audio for uh, from the album recording. And they, they made a big deal out of that with, with the record company. And you listen to a lot of those early interviews with Ed. He would say, you know, we, we're just interested in music. We're interested in playing live. We want to give people uh, a taste of what we sound like live. We did. They didn't want to do a lip sync video. Um, they did. They ended up doing a concept video, of course, which ended up being huge in Jeremy. But a live even flow, the first two videos, both live performances. I think that says a lot about where the band was at, what they thought was important, um, and being focused on the music. Yeah, and you know, like I, I think it's it's also unique to the listener too that you know they're watching on MTV and oh, yeah. I used getting to, a different. I used to stop whatever I was doing whenever this video came on MTV. 
I, I had never seen the Alive video until way later in my Pearl Jam fandom because they weren't, you know, by the time I was watching MTV in 97 or so, they weren't playing it. it right. You know, it was all Jeremy, if anything, and then do the evolution after. So, um, you know, but but I always liked the idea uh, and concept of music videos being about, you know, the live band, and it's kind of really an advertisement for, you know, to go see them live. So... Uh, you know, at the time where the youth is kind of trying to find their voice and, uh, you know, there's a lot of angst and, and vigor out there. I think that, uh, anybody that had that mindset at the time and saw the stage divers and the mosh pit that happened, uh, in these music videos, they would be like, this is, this is my home. This is where I need to be. Yep. And everybody, everybody went home and, and did jumped off their bed and, uh, <laughs> played along at home yeah yeah so i mean this is really like alive being the first single it's massive for them it's huge uh you know 1992 comes around it's the band is getting increasingly more popular as the time goes on uh you know not just in the seattle scene but around the country and it starts to you know become a worldwide thing uh and then in march of 92 you get uh the stage in the acoustic setting for unplugged and literally every every song from unplugged is notable but i i just feel like it's incredibly unique in its own right uh, because it showed the band were able to, to adapt such a, um, a pronounced like arena song that had such a, an electric vibe to it. And they were able to, you know, when you hear Mike at the end do his little solo uh, on an acoustic, like it still has that same power that it did, you know, when he's playing in front of, you know, thousands of people uh, at Pink Pop. It just proves the power of the song, the power of them as musicians to to translate it and still keep the emotion and behind it. You know, it's it's that's one of the you know we've we've talked about unplugged. We mentioned it on on uh, episodes before. Like almost every song on the unplugged is is an iconic performance. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, you speak of iconic performances and you speak of mainstream performances and in April of 1992, uh really important that the band made their first appearance on Saturday Night Live and Alive was of course the first song played and you just watch and they are it's almost like they're not focused on anything but what's inside the music.
music was in the 90s. This is people, you know, seeing their rock stars that they grew up admiring in the, in the 70s and 80s. And, you know, they're tapping into that idea and they're making it their own. You see Jeff jumping all over the stage. You see Eddie screaming into the mic. And this is in front of a worldwide audience. And you got to think, Jeremy's not out yet. Even Flow is very early in its rotation. Uh, this could be one of the first big things to get Pearl Jam on the map uh, in front of a worldwide audience. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, I used to watch Saturday Night Live, you know, almost more for the musical performances than for the for the comedy itself. But back then, you know, there weren't a lot of bands that would really let loose and go crazy on their performances like this. A lot of it, it was very, you know, it was very canned and very TV appropriate and very kind of relaxed and, you know, let's not go crazy, you know, very trying to be very, you know, appropriate for television. And this is one of the first ones, you know, there, there are a few exceptions. Obviously we can talk about Elvis Costello back in the seventies and fear and their, the replacements and, you know, things like that. But then you had in the early nineties, you had Nirvana, uh, came on and did Smells Like Teen Spirit. Then you have this version. I, I remember this was this was much must watch television for me. I think I stayed up and like like I said before, hooked the put the boombox up to the TV and recorded it on a cassette. Um, but yeah, just to watch them in their element like that, knowing that they were just going crazy, letting loose. It was like like a stick of dynamite went off in the studio. They were bouncing off the walls like just an amazing performance of the song yeah i can imagine if i were you know not a six-year-old back in 1992 (laughs) oh you're uh, just a baby i i'm not no baby anymore i when this when this comes out i will officially be 33 yes 33 that's that that's no baby right there okay if you say so i have age on me (laughs) um but, you know, I can imagine, you know, if I were a little bit older and a little bit more savvy to Saturday Night Live, uh, which I was, you know, when I was a teenager, uh, if I saw that, I would have immediately been like, these, this is this is it. This, these are my guys. These this, they care about music. Uh, they care about entertainment. And I can I can go back to when, uh, you know, in later years watching performances from the uh, music video awards and watching the uh rocket in the free world performance and like seeing that and seeing them with neil young and understanding that my dad listened to neil young and you know they brought neil young into that environment and uh you know it made them kind of make neil young cool to me because i thought neil young oh well he's kind of old uh to to be cool uh, you know, it, it's sort of Neil Young did uh, "Rockin' in the Free World" on Saturday Night Live back in I think '88 or '89. It's a great performance too. So maybe yeah. they had they were tapping into that a little bit. Yeah, I I'm I'm sure they were. I, like that was the time where Neil Young was was really their uh, their mentor, and uh, they really took took a, a a liking to him, and and they he taught him so much, and look at what they've become since. So. Uh, you know, we can't mention 1992 without mentioning Pink Pop. And, um, you know, it's front of an audience of 60,000. In Europe, it's being televised. You know, throughout the years, it's been passed down. It's one of the most common bootlegs that you'll see. It's one of the most watched 
Pearl Jam videos on YouTube. Um, John, I'm going to see if you can remember it word by word because you say that you can. But can you do the rain speech? So this was on the the Oceans CD EP. Um, and I listened to this thing a million times. Um, let me see. Uh, you survived today. No matter what band could come up here, it's it's you surviving the rain. It's you who's going to be sick tomorrow. It's you who we appreciate. Thank you. Oh, I mean, that was, that was my mantra for for about a year after that, that single came out. It feels like Ed is ha- has the crowd in the palm of his hands, you know, preaching his gospel. Um, and th- that show is just memorable for so many reasons. But I think the most important thing is just knowing that this song is going from great song that's a current single to this song is going to be something that we'll be talking about in 20 years as being one of the best songs of this era. Oh, it became, and you know, I'm sure they would hate to admit this, but it became almost the anthem of a generation. Yes. You know, the song kind of took on, it's one of those things where it's just one of those songs that comes around every every once in a while that that takes on a life of its own, right? People hear it and they instantly connect with it. shows you know at pink pop with 50,000 people 60,000 people everyone singing along to it that's going to resonate with you you're going to remember that after of the course. show you know that's going to be the yeah. thing you take away like that's going that that's a special moment for people and be you know I, all of us together screaming i'm still alive right that that that's a powerful moment sure and you know again propels the band to superstardom uh and you do have a war, war pigs tag at the end here so they they do play around with it just a little bit uh in certain times i think they've done war bigs i think they've done a couple of different things and Uh, and that's and that's mike too you know him realizing that the the chord structure is similar than it's in the probably in the same key so that's him going i'm just gonna throw this in there as a little nod to uh to black sabbath and to the meaning behind that song sure uh so the next handful of years i mean this is a there's barely a show that goes by without a live being in a set and we're seeing it at a very consistent basis uh being played near the end of set so you know at times we'd see it probably switched up a little bit maybe played in the six or seven spot but you know it's really it's it's in that wheelhouse that we know of now where it's kind of like the penultimate song to get you to the end of a show, maybe to get you to porch, maybe to get you to uh, indifference or yellow lead better. But uh, you know, this is around the time like 1995 release, you know, rings a bell here. And this is when Jack is in the band. So uh, red rocks, 95, the first night they play it. And right before the second verse, Eddie doesn't go into the chorus and he just kind of stops a little bit. Sometimes it's weird to sing this song. It's just weird. 
sort of recognizing that these lyrics are a part of a really traumatic moment in his life. And he's playing it on a stage in front of thousands of people in a beautiful setting of Red Rocks. Like, it's just, you know, and we'll kind of get into how the song is changing, but at this time, it's really starting to take on a different life, like we were saying before. Well, I think that, too, if you think about where the band was in 1995 versus where they were in 1991, things have totally done a 180. They've, they're they're totally in a different spot then. Um they're, you know, we've got, they've got a couple more albums under their belt. They've got di- different songs. They're expanding their sound. Jack's in the band now. And, you know, the Mama-san is, is, you know, it's, it's a little, there's a little bit of fiction thrown in there. It's not completely 100% no. true. So I think that a lot of that was him kind of realizing, you know, this song, maybe when I sing it, it doesn't have the same power behind it anymore because we've changed as people. The band's changed. Their sound has changed. It's him kind of going like, maybe this is maybe this is one of those that that is the old Pearl Jam, not where the new Pearl Jam is going. You know, would Alive fit on No Code? Probably not. No. Right. Um, so it's it's one of those that I think they and there were a lot of songs that they got dropped in 1995. We've talked about that with with Deep and Why Go and Glorified G and Leash and there's a whole list of them that. That they just yeah. didn't that didn't make that jump, and I think going back to it, the fans probably kept this song alive and kept it going for them during that time, where it 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 stayed in through '96 and '98 and 2000. Yeah, and you know, again, it's a song that every single drummer had not just played but familiarized themselves with. Uh, you know, they did it almost every single night in those years that you just mentioned for no code mm-hmm. and yield tours, uh, you know, and that kind of takes us up all up until by normal. And, and, you know, um, and let's mention Jack too. Jack has more of a cruising feel to him where he plays more sure. in the groove and he plays more by feel and he's not, he's not super technical, you know, trying to make, do the extra flourishes and trying to show off right. and whatever. Play in the pocket. Is that what they uh, call that's it? That's part of it. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And, uh, so yeah, the versions, the versions with Jack, I really like too. So we we mentioned binaural, and you know this is where kind of alive takes uh, a bit of a turn in its uh, live evolution here. Um, uh, Six thirty two thousand. I think everybody knows that date. It's the date of the Roskilde tragedy. Um, the incident ba- hit the band so hard that even though it happened during a performance of Daughter, uh, they really feel felt like it wouldn't be fair to continue playing live. Uh, due to the lyrics, right? I mean, can can you imagine hearing twenty thousand, thirty thousand people scream "I'm still alive" after going through something like that? Like it would have. They watched nine people. Yeah, it would have. It would have yeah. felt. It would have felt horrible. So I, I totally understand why they why they dropped it for uh, for every show on that tour except the last one. Right, and it was the longest time that the longest stretch that they ever went without playing it. Forty-eight shows, which really doesn't seem like a lot, but they were playing a lot of random uh, dates 
in uh, in 2000, you know, in places like Boise, Idaho, and, you know, doing two shows in West Palm Beach and three shows at Jones Beach. Um, a lot of shows on that tour. And even we did uh, the Glasgow show last week, mm-hmm. and uh, they didn't play it at that show, and that was before Ross Guild. So they were starting at the time to phase it out a little bit and maybe bring it back every other kind of show right, uh, right. deal. So, you know, it goes away and you have to go to the last show of that year at the key arena in Seattle. And, um, there's a lot of hesitation on the stage. They start playing it. And, you know, if you're following the band around the whole entire year, uh, you know, you, you recognize that they're not playing it and you recognize that, um, you know, what's going on. And when you hear the first, the opening riff, it doesn't have that same power to it. We have to we have to move on. We have to find a way to get through it. And I think the way that we move on is to sort of uh, f- find a way to to celebrate this. And, and you know, it. and by that time, I think you know they had they had met the families of the victims, and they had yeah. started to to kind of he- the healing process. You know, where they were they were doing you know the best they can. To, to try to make things right with the families. And I think they, they stayed in touch with those families for a long time, even probably to this day. And, uh, yeah, the, just to just to give the song another chance, you know, to show and to, to save it for a Seattle show where they know it's a home crowd, where they know, you know, they're not going to get booed for it. Where, as if, you know, if they had brought it back in one of those first shows, people might have booed, you know. Because yeah, people, sure. You know, everybody knew what happened. It was It was on the news. Um, so for them to, and they were investigated for it too, for them to do it at a show like that, um, like a home show at the end of the tour, um, really, you know, just to them just almost being tentative, like, can we still do this? Right. Cause does this still, does this song still have meaning for who we are as a band? And you just, you know, the video is out there. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I'll, I'll post it to, to the social media pages. But uh, you look at Ed, and he's got his hands in his pockets pretty much the whole entire time. He doesn't have that, you know. He's 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 kind of fighting fighting to hold it back a little bit. It's almost it's a, it's a humbling experience, and it's not really until the end where Mike sort of during a solo is just like, okay, I you know let, I'm buzzing around during this now. Like I'm starting to to try and get some energy back into this because you know we have to we have to find a way to move on and um this also you know i don't know if this was the first time that this happened but the sarcastic of course there is
show thing that we hear that now but back then it was just it was normal so to hear that you know this is another evolution of the song that you know that we know of now it becomes a celebration of the song and and sort of an exclamation of how happy people are to hear it uh you know it's 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 notable yeah and with uh you know you get those those versions now where you know where eddie where people are doing the fist pumps and doing the hey 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 you know and it's it kind of uh you know we'll talk about this in a minute but that that was sort of the beginning of the you know the middle years of the curse i think once 2003 hit and you get that whole riot act tour and the riot act tour is massive it is it's huge and alive is being played again it's back to being you know a force in the set and it's 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 more powerful than ever at this point because they're playing big time arenas they're playing the spectrum and they're playing msg and they're playing uh you know uh boston garden like these massive massive places and and outside amphitheaters just big shows um and they're you know just like Pearl Jam does, they throw curveballs in the mix sometimes. And, uh, you know, Dallas, uh, June 9th, 2003, a little curveball thrown in there when they come on stage. And what's the first song that they open with? Pearl Jam talking about what the opening song is going to be and they and Stone comes out you know starting alive that's that would everybody you know everybody instantly is instantly is paying attention like whoa and it it gets a huge reaction from the crowd and then the, it sets the tone for that show for sure we're gonna to have to cover that one at some point absolutely where do you go from there almost it's you know like I mean you can play you know I think Brain of Jay was the follow-up and then right. save you or something like right. that but it's going to feel like, wow, there's, you know, there's no going up from that, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and from there again, the crowd participation was, was massive, uh, throughout this time, because I feel like the band is really starting to take this as a celebration of their song, a celebration of the entire show. Really. When you think about mm-hmm. it, they're playing almost 30, 30 to 33, 34 songs. Yeah, this is this is when, when Mike takes a solo. You'll see Ed go to one side of the stage, thank the crowd. You'll see him mm-hmm. run to the other side of the stage real quick, interact with the crowd. You know, the band's, you know, the band's on stage. You see Stone and Jeff kind of like doing, getting in their groove, locking together. Um, and we'll, you know, we haven't talked about Matt Cameron. Matt Cameron's great on this song. He really provides a really solid... He's, you know, he and Matt Cameron's a great fit for the band. He's been the drummer for 20 years now. Um, but he really, you know, helped make the song what it is now, you know. Yeah, uh, I agree. Like, you know, you get versions with Jack and, and, and Dave and like they're good for that time period. But now, like this is really turned into your your arena rock anthem. And I, in my opinion, it's always been one of the best arena rock songs of all time. 
uh, especially of the '90s. That I don't, I don't think anything comes close to it. Uh, but you know, it's it's impassioned, and really, you need that hard hitting version on the drums. And I think Matt is just perfect for that when when you edit him in. Um, and that you know, in the timeline, that sort of takes us here to uh, to 2006. Uh, storytellers, which we've covered on Patreon before. So if you haven't listened to the Storytellers episode, uh, definitely go and check that out. Um, Ed calls this song The Curse. Uh, so it was a curse, you know, I'm still alive. So cut to years later, and we're playing to larger and, lot- uh, larger, and, and larger audiences, and, uh, and they're responding to this chorus in, in a way that uh, y- you never thought. And... Uh, you know, folks are jumping down in the aisles and uh, using their bodies to express themselves and uh, belting it out, you know, singing along, you know, I'm still alive, you know, in mass. You know. So every night when I'd look out on this sea of people reacting in their own positive interpretation, it, it was really incredible. Um, the audience changed the meaning of these words. And uh, when, when they sing, I'm still alive, you know, it's, it's like they're celebrating. And, uh, and, and here's the thing. When they change the meaning of those words, they lifted the curse. You know, that tells you right there, that little speech and that, you know, part that... Um, the band had a new identity for the song, and, and I really feel like it happened. You know, once once they got it out of the way and got it back at a, at that Key Arena show, um, yeah. I th- I feel like after that it became the powerhouse it did. And I think you know that's going to be a recurring theme on these Evolution episodes is how the fans have have influenced the band throughout the years and with songs and with live performances and everything else. And this is one of those, another one that, that the fans really grabbed a hold of and took on and, and like, like you said, changed the meaning of the song. Yeah. And you know, the last 12 years or so, it's, it's an inevitability that you're going to get it at a show. And whether you're a veteran fan or a young fan or a boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife or coworker that's going to support a friend at any of these shows, uh, this is one that you're definitely going to get and you're definitely going to know. And it, it's got the entire crowd participating. With oh, yeah. And so, it, was, it was big, too. You know, people watching the Live at the Garden DVD, watching the mm-hmm. Imagine and Corniche DVD, watching PJ20 Right, everybody, you see the people pumping their fists and going, hey, hey. So now every show they go to, people are doing that. Yeah. Because they, they want to be a part of that moment. It's really, what Alive is, in a nutshell, is a thank you for the crowd being so uh, into the show the whole night for, for 30 songs. And then you get to, it's really the penultimate song when, when you think about it, the bread and butter at the end there. And uh, it's really a thank you for everybody for singing at the, at, uh, the top of your lungs, for, you know, dancing when you wanted to dance, for, you know, being emotional when you needed oh, yeah, to you be know, emotional. And, and there are people, that, the there are people in the crowd that, that don't know 
they might not know present tense or they might not know insignificance or they might not know love boat captain but everyone in that arena in that baseball stadium knows alive and that's that's one of the ones they came to hear what other versions from like the last decade or so really stand out to you um i really like you know the they did they did a lot of touring in south america earlier in the decade a lot of those crowds are just insane and if you go listen to the 2011 uh from buenos aires argentina the crowd and they they do this for more than just alive too but they when they start the song the crowd is actually singing the guitar part as they go along and even throughout the song the crowd is just is almost as loud as eddie is um that's one that really was a powerful version uh for me and then if you go to even the, the home shows from from last year from seattle um when they played it on night one in seattle it got a huge response and he threw in a little you know oh, we're fucking lucky to be alive you know mm-hmm. fucking lucky to yeah. be here and it, it really you really feel like the weight of those 28 29 years you know when they play the song you know because it's like you said it was one of their first songs the beginning it still has that emotional heft to it when they play it in 2018 yeah and um you know i go i go back to how passionate the philadelphia 05 show was uh where ed just at the end takes the mic and he's basically on his knees saying we're alive we're alive we're alive too and and you get to that moment and uh they're still giving it everything that they have uh what a you know again with all of the moments from that night and that's at the end that's going to be the one that stands out the most is is kind of incredible so yeah and another uh and i mentioned the pj20 movie um at the end i think it's philly 09 uh, from the Spectrum the shows Spectrum where they show, right? where they show in that's another one where you see the they he does a lot of crowd shots you see everyone in the crowd going crazy reacting to it that that was big for a lot of people too that's a great version yeah and one more version before we really wrap this up uh, that you know just kind of brings us full circle a little bit uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and you know they didn't really have to do this. Uh, but they added in Dave Krusen into the song, and it was the first time that Dave had played with the band in about, uh, I mean, almost 25 years at that point, you would think, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, kind of crazy that, you know, Dave, you know, it kind of, for him, when you, when you think about it, and, and yeah, okay, Dave A, maybe you can argue that he should be in the Hall of Fame. I, I just don't want to bring up that argument because it's just not it's not relevant. Like, I, I just don't, you know, who cares? It was, yeah, it was, it was the of, band's decision. Right. It really, it doesn't matter to any of this. So if, if Dave was really a pioneering role in the band and they felt like he needed to be in, then, then that's, that's fine. And, and honestly, this is, this was his song, uh, from the start. And it was just kind of a great moment to see him, you know, back, back home, back to where, you know, what got him, you know, his career. Yeah. And it was such, you know, it was such a big moment. They released it on the fan club single for that year. Overall, this song that has such dark intentions, that has such a sarcastic, 
view of life and um you know you would think that anybody that would go through the situations that would happen in the song uh it's you know we we used to joke about it i i have a friend uh, that that I, I went to shows with a lot, uh, you know, over the years, and we would, you know, we would be at a bar and we would just be joking about Pearl Jam stuff, and our big joke was turning Alive into a Shakespearean act and saying, you know, uh, is that the question? If so, who answers? Who answers? And it really is kind of Shakespearean when you think about it, because nobody speaks that way. Yeah, it's and if you think about it too, then you know the next part of the trilogy is the guy turns into a serial killer. And that's I mean, so yeah, this that's, is that's part of Shakespeare. Yeah, so this is uh, you know it it's got it's kind of surprising that it became what it became. You know, it, it could have definitely gone the other way. Yeah, um, but again, from dark intentions to incest, and uh, you know not knowing one's family history uh, to uh, a world of fans uh, relating to it and singing it at the top of their lungs. Um, That's how you develop one of the best arena rock songs of all time. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, and for me personally um, with the song, you know, it's one of those songs that, you know, I'd known from the very beginning, but, you know, I, I don't, like to talk about my personal life a lot on the show because it's not about me but you know last year my wife passed away it's almost been it's been a little over a year and it really hit me hard obviously and i couldn't even listen to music for like a couple of months right you just you don't want to because every song brings back some feelings for you you know and when i finally came back to listening to music Pearl Jam was one of the first things that I really got back into, you know, that kind of helped me deal with some of those emotions and the pain and things like that. And this song especially took on a brand new meaning for me, right? To, to even the fact where, you know, I'm probably going to get a tattoo of, of the stick man on myself, you know, whereas <laughs> that, that seemed ridiculous, you know, four or five years ago. But the song has has totally changed for me and it's become one one of their most important songs for me. Yeah, that's I mean a lot of people can hear that and absolutely, you know, just relate to it. Um yeah, I, yeah. I that's yeah, I I I got nothing nothing to follow up that up with because that's, you know, you 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 poured your heart and soul out, so thanks for doing yeah, that. Yeah, man. Um, but, uh, thanks for, uh, everybody tuning in and, uh, you know, donating to Patreon and we'll have, uh, some more episodes along the way for you. I'm sure. I do, uh, uh I do have a surprise for, oh. for our patrons. Um, okay. there's a version of the song, uh, that they played acoustic at, uh, I think a tower records in Rockville, Maryland in 1991. Uh, I believe it was November 9th. Uh, the day that Eddie got his first tattoo. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to send all of the patrons the bootleg of that performance. Hey, How about that? look at that. So you get to hear being, you get to hear that version. For being a Patreon subscriber, uh, you are getting perks. Yeah. You know, 
these little little perks. These, this is you know the nice things that that we do for our patrons. I don't I don't know if a lot of other podcasts do stuff like this. We we don't do this to we do this because we want you guys to be happy uh, out of you know just getting you know. We're and you know honestly, and, and we're not we're not Conan O'Brien. We're not getting ten million dollars from this podcast. No, the the, no. the goal for us is not to not to become famously wealthy. The goal is to you know build this community and to share with the people and you know express our love for this band and you know be be you know share things with you guys that that are important to us and you guys share things with us. So that's just part of that's part of why we're doing it. It's not anything selfish. Really, yeah, really, honestly, this is this is done so we can put together, you know, parties on tour, that we can put together events when they go on tour and we go and spend our own personal money to go and follow them around the country or around the world and, you know, find a bar where, you know, we can, you know, uh, uh, take some seats and uh, and get you guys in, and maybe do some shirts exclusive to uh, the area, and that's uh, that's yeah. so. What we so if you, so, if you're to listening do. to this, um, check your email later today, and you should have this uh, that bootleg from the little acoustic performance. I believe they did a couple of their songs. That's really cool. What a guy you are, John! Yeah, man of the what people. A guy. And uh, since since I'm in a giving mood too, I'm going to give you the best version of a live you've ever heard at the end of this episode. Oh, I can't, I can't wait. Bonus. Can't wait. <laughs> so, uh, that's all we have for now. Uh, keep listening, keep, uh, throwing in your ideas, keep, uh, uh, keep on keeping on. And, uh, do we, uh, do we have a, ne- a next evolution episode? Can we, can we tease what's coming next? Um, not, not a hundred percent sure. Uh, I think, there are a couple on the horizon that we have planned to do without John. Uh, we have a plan for sorry. We have to get some other voices <laughs> in somehow. Um, we got to get Buckley in on the show. Yeah, We've yeah. Been planning to do state of love and trust oh, for cool, a while now. Cool. Uh, we've been planning to do an episode on porch, uh, with Brad Piasecki. And I've also, uh, uh, plan to book a time to do uh, an episode for Breath with uh, Steve Maytan. Oh, nice. so, so if you guys are listening and there's there's a song that means a lot to you, if there's one that you really feel like, even if you don't, you know, you don't have to come on for the whole episode. If you just want to do a little five or ten minute thing about what the song means, you know, let us know and yeah. we can we can probably make that happen. Yep. Um, this is it's free to free to anybody to join yeah. the show. Yeah. So. Uh, with that being said, I think uh, I think we're through here. Sounds good. All right. Um, This is the end. We may be here, but not for much longer. Although we may be parting ways, I miss you already, and I miss you always. And until the next Evolution episode, uh, we will see you next time. Bye. We now present the Spirit Awards Not in Memoriam Reel. Here to perform the classic Pearl Jam song Alive is Andy Samberg doing a horrible Eddie Vedder impression. Andy?
somebody famous, you better tell them right now. Cause all your favorites may die oh, very soon. Wow, things for sure. I made it better and I love the Cubs. My voice sounds exactly like this. Sorry, I just got sidetracked. What was I talking about? Oh, no. Just now? Oh. Damn it. I mean, he was, he was like a pretty close friend of mine. You know, we did a lot of projects together. Sorry, guys. I just got to do one thing really quick, okay? Wrecked beyond words. Make him laugh up in heaven, Freddy. R.I.P. And tweeted. Okay, morning complete. Two, three... Four. Fred, no, Fred, now he's not alive. We thought he was when we got to him, but he did not survive. And now Nick and John are propping him up in some sort of weekend at Birdies-esque scenario. 